Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Conduct Detrimental. We're back with some more Ezekiel Elliott, the case that keeps on giving. Um, you know, we're back in kind of that deflategate mode, Dan, where we're, we're seeing court filings almost on a daily basis, new issues coming up on a daily basis. Um, this is pretty crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to rename our show Fundamental Fairness. Forget con- forget Conduct Detrimental. Uh, I-, I think as this case begins to take on this, um, you know, nastiness and we're starting to see, uh, you know, gamesmanship, between, you know, among the different, you know, parties, the NFL and the NFLPA can simply cannot stand each other. And now we have, for the first time, um, animosity from the uh, NFL towards Judge, you know, Amos Mazant. So this is taking on uh, a much more emotional feeling than I think Deflategate ever had. And, and, and that's shocking to me. I thought Deflategate was the, the case that had all the drama and all the great angles. And we're about to enter a dimension right now that uh, could last uh, at least in the short term with all these stay issues for the next couple of weeks. And then, of course, we're going to have an appeal to deal with and some jockeying among in, in the lower courts. So this is this is for sure uh, between the two cases at this juncture, much more fascinating than Deflategate was. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Exactly. And you, and you referred to, you know, this being in two separate cases and really we're in three courts right now. We're in District Court of Texas. The, the NFL has already filed its notice of appeal in the Fifth Circuit in that case on the injunction and then also the lawsuit in New York. So maybe it's, it makes sense to kind of talk about each of these in a separate bucket and they all kind of go hand in hand and have some crossover. But let's start with the case that, you know, has seen all of the action at this point just about, and that is in the district court of Texas. Um, you know, right now we're, we're waiting here on Thursday afternoon. Dan is currently refreshing the Docker, the Pacer docket because we are expecting a potential ruling um, on a fully brief motion by the NFL to stay the injunction pending appeal, which means that they are asking the court to undo the injunction and essentially um, have Ezekiel Elliott's suspension begin immediately instead of wait like the ruling before. Um, Dan, I, I know that you've you've tweeted about this and we've talked about it, but the NFL really mailed it in here, didn't they? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 first of all, the league's objective. Uh, was to get to the Fifth Circuit as quickly as possible. They had that reply brief and that petition for a stay pending appeal, you know, done bang bang fashion, and it didn't seem to be one of the better briefs uh, or, or, or you know, extensively laid out legal arguments I've seen. It was almost designed to fail. Uh, they were they covered all the bases, but only at, in my view, the bare minimum to get before the Fifth Circuit as quickly as possible, but without waiving any of their arguments. See, the league can mail it in, but it can't fail to raise arguments, but there was a lack of in-depth, you know, just, you know, advocacy that I think I would have brought to bear if I was preparing this motion. So it was, you know, by design of the federal rules of appellate procedure, uh, a party seeking a stay has to go through this two-step process. And if you're seeking a stay pending appeal, you have to apply for a stay before the lower court first. And it has to be denied or failed to or or the lower court fails to afford the relief requested, which is, you know, another way of saying the court sits on it forever or just doesn't act on it. Uh, But to have a a lower court judge stay his own injunction is somewhat incongruous. And there is 
almost no precedent uh, that I'm aware of for a lower court staying its own injunction, injunction that was entered days earlier based upon a threat of irreparable harm to the party that got the injunction. So the league wanted, wants uh, the league wants to see Elliot suspended as quickly as possible, and the the, re- the relief and the recourse is going to come solely from the Fifth Circuit. So the league wanted to have this issue presented and preserved for Fifth Circuit review this week, and uh, Judge Mazant um, kind of messed up those plans by surprisingly issuing a briefing order that would span the course of the full week. Yeah, this reminds me of another type of motion that you see in federal court, and that's a motion for reconsideration. And essentially, you know, the stay motion and a reconsideration motion are asking the judge to look at what he just put out and completely change his mind on it. And the only time I've ever seen those change is when a party properly identifies uh, a mistake of fact or law that the judge made when coming to his opinion. And here in the NFL's um, motion, you don't even see them identifying any sort of potential mistake that the judge made. And so, uh, you know, because of that, you know, they're clearly just going through the procedural steps that they have to. But, I I mean, I would give them a point zero 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 i don't even put a one on the end of that chance of winning this motion it's really just a formality moving forward do you agree with that it's minus zero i mean what makes it minus zero in this instance is that the standards governing a state pending appeal were the exact same standards that applied to the issuance of the preliminary injunction the judge has already gone through this analysis and determined uh elliot and the players association had a substantial likelihood of success Elliot would suffer irreparable harm. The balancing of the harms tips in Elliot's favor, and it would dis, it would not deserve the public interest to enter an injunction for Elliot. So the judge has essentially uh, made preliminary findings on all four of those elements. He's now being asked to readdress those elements. It's almost like a backdoor motion for reconsideration. Uh, but the judge isn't going to come out any differently. And the danger to entering a stay pending appeal is that granting it would is, would give the league all the relief that it seeks in the case, which is the ability to impose a six-game suspension right now. So the, um, I think the absence of harm to the NFL and the abundance of harm to Elliott, coupled with basically giving the league all of the relief it's, it's looking for here, would, uh, would, 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 would moot the appeal and, and leave Elliott with a potential Pyrrhic victory at the end of the line. I, I just don't see Mazant doing it, and I don't see the Fifth Circuit doing it, even if the Fifth Circuit believes that the league has the much better of the cases. You can't get around the absence of irreparable harm to the league, and certainly no one can contest that Ezekiel Elliott will suffer significant irreparable harm from missing six games. Uh, The federal case law in a number of different professional athlete cases uniformly recognize that principle and replacing the missed games uh, is an impossibility. A game check doesn't equate to missed time. And, you know, in a short, in in an athlete's short playing career, the opportunity to achieve honors and awards and, you know, keep pace with your peers and make the Pro Bowl, the All-Pro, none of that can be recaptured once those games are taken away. Yeah, kind of taking a step back from there, we'll we'll get to some of those arguments in a minute, but um, I think there's some really interesting issues that are brought up by this NFL's motion, even though it's destined to be a loser, And, and one of them is the timing. As you noted, the they tried to sneak it in and have the judge rule really fast, and he... Uh, you know, in turn surprised them with essentially stretching it out a week by issuing 
a briefing schedule and requiring each of the, the NFLPA to respond, and then the NFL has a chance to file their reply brief. And they filed their reply brief yesterday, almost immediately after the NFLPA filed theirs, uh, which was two days before their deadline. And one of the interesting parts of the brief, because it was actually just kind of a regurgitation other than this piece, was that they essentially gave the judge an ultimatum. They said, if you don't rule today, we're going to file our emergency motion in the Fifth Circuit, so you better, they didn't say you better do so, but that's essentially what they were implying, um, which is a pretty bold move. Obviously, they were um, didn't have much to lose. Mazant, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the injunction order in a minute because we didn't get a chance to talk about it in our last podcast because it came out immediately after that. But, um, you know, Mazant obviously ruled heavily in the NFLPA's favor, and uh, so now the NFL's pushing back. Dan, would you ever give a federal judge an ultimatum on a timing issue? Only if I was never going to appear in that circuit or jurisdiction ever again. And uh, this is not Paul Clement from Washington, D.C., making that ultimatum, knowing that he'll never be in the Eastern District of Texas again. These are lawyers from Aiken Gump. Uh, which are presumably frequent travelers in the Texas federal courts. And no client, no client is worth making that kind of ultimatum. I don't care if it's the National Football League. Uh, cases come and go, uh, but as a practitioner, you've got to be in that courtroom. And uh, you know, the, the, the lawyers in this case will presumably appear in the Eastern District of Texas again and have another case before Judge Mazant. And you don't want to leave a judge. Uh, you know, you don't want to be antagonistic towards the towards the judge. I know, I know, the NFL used words like respectfully, but it was it was a veiled threat that if he doesn't rule, um, you know, same day or before the end of the day Thursday, they're going to take action. You don't ever threaten a federal court. First of all, it's a be- it's a terrible optic for uh, practicing before any of the federal district courts. But the Fifth Circuit is not unaware of what's going on in the lower court and will have the benefit of the briefing. And, uh, you know, you might have ticked off a Fifth Circuit judge as well. I think the NFL needed to take the high road here. This threat wasn't necessary because um, even though the league quickly filed its reply brief, uh, Mazant wasn't going to stretch this out to next week. He was going to rule, you know, within a day or two of whenever that reply brief was filed. So the NFL wasn't really in jeopardy of losing all that much had they not made the threat. Yeah, maybe Elliott plays this week against the uh, if they're playing the Broncos. Uh, if the league seems hell bent on engineering a suspension in time for this Sunday, it's just not going to happen. The Fifth Circuit is not going to accept uh, a petition filed on late Thursday night or Friday, impose a briefing schedule, require the parties to complete their briefing before Sunday. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I could be proven wrong here, but I think Elliott's eligibility for this week is now, without a doubt, uh, not in question. He plays this week. So I think the NFL uh, should have been looking or should have looked at the sort of the bigger picture here, which is they're going to have an opportunity to argue their motion for stay before the Fifth Circuit, whether it's Friday, Monday or Tuesday. They will get their day in court, maybe not an oral argument or a hearing, but they will get a ruling from the Fifth Circuit before the end of next week. So there was no need to be so heavy handed in the approach towards Judge Mazant. It wasn't that this week wasn't all or, or all or nothing. They will have their opportunity to get their pound of flesh, whether it's in week three or week four. But, you know, they'll have their chance to argue for a state. They're not going to get it. The irreparable harm 
uh, deficiency doesn't go away if you simply go from the district court to, to the Fifth Circuit. The same problem looms for the NFL and that they cannot prevail on that element, at least not in my opinion. Yeah, and I, when I saw that, I really asked myself, like, what what is the NFL thinking here? And, and, and to me, I think they're trying to um, be able to make the argument to the Fifth Circuit that they're doing everything in their in their power when they're filing this emergency motion in, in the coming day days that they did everything to move this thing along as fast as possible because it's such an important issue and the fifth circuit needs to act swiftly and quickly on this um but i think you nailed it on the head when when you said that the fifth circuit's likely are are paying attention to this case or or the judges that are assigned will eventually begin paying attention to this case and they're going to see that and i think it really has the chance to rub those judges the wrong way and really could backfire on the NFL and, and, and not make any friends in the fifth circuit, which is, um, you know, the last thing that they want to do at this point. Um, you know, we, we saw in, in, in many of these cases, um, how these cases go, cause they're, they're good lawyers on both sides. It, it comes down to, to the judge. You know, we saw judge Berman, um, you know, side with Brady, and then we saw them appeal that case and, and go completely the opposite way. Uh, there's a chance that could happen here. So every little bit of favor that, the NFL can muster and not give away is going to be important. So that, you know, this could turn out to be um, a misstep. And, and, and so moving forward, the next question to me is, and we're, as I mentioned, we're refreshing Pacer. So if this breaks in the middle, we'll talk about it. It hasn't currently, but will Mazant abide with their ultimatum? And I tend to think, you know, it's now one thirty on Thursday I tend to think that maybe he's just going to take his time anyway. He's not going to, um, he's not going to do it. That'll actually, uh, muck up the NFL's, um, emergency stay motion in the fifth circuit. Anyway, if they file it before, um, they can rule, it'll give them more problems. You know, one of our colleagues was, was tracking Mazan's caseload and and noticed that he was in trial today. So currently, obviously he's got plenty of other cases going on as well. Um, yeah, well, that's our embedded correspondent, Frank Cauley. Yeah, thanks, Frank, for all your uh, all your digging on this case. We appreciate it. Um, and and so there's there's a lot of issue or a lot of reasons why I think we might not see this till tomorrow or even later. I mean, he he's scheduled to get the final brief tomorrow, and then was going to work on the opinion after that. So um, who knows? Who knows if he'll he'll uh, change his schedule around and, and bend over backwards to the NFL to rule today. I would imagine if it if it would happen, it would probably be pretty late. But uh, I don't know. I just don't see it. What do you think, Dan? Well, my, my, my theory is that he's going to wait until after the close of business on Thursday, which you know we're recording today. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think he's got to not overplay his hand with too much delay. I mean, this is not going to, this is not going to go into next week. If he was going to be in a position to rule by Friday night under the original schedule, I mean, he, he really should try to rule by the end of the day today. But why, but from his perspective, he's pissed, right? He's, he, he's certainly not happy about the uh, sort of the ultimatum that the NFL uh, made in the last page of the reply brief. So one way that he could sort of like stick it to the NFL, not that judges want to stick it to parties, but there's one subtle passive aggressive thing that he can't can do, which is to not to deny the NFL the ability to get into the Fifth Circuit on Thursday. And if he had issued the ruling earlier in the day Thursday, you know it's going to be bang, bang. One hour later, the NFL will file in the Fifth Circuit and potentially 
get the kind of briefing order that could maybe jeopardize Elliott's eligibility for the Sunday game against the Broncos because the court could demand a, uh, a, a brief from the, from the union by noon on Friday, a reply brief from the NFL 5 p.m. on Friday, and maybe issue a ruling by late, late Friday night. So by delaying the ruling until after the close of business, uh, Elliot, I'm sorry, Mazant could potentially jeopardize that slim possibility that the NFL holds out some hope for of having a lightning fast briefing schedule before the Fifth Circuit, all of which would take place, uh, you know, late Thursday and, and on Friday. So I, I think my money is going to be on Mazant ruling today, but waiting until a little bit late into the evening. Hey, Kindock Detrimental fans, we have some big news to report. We have our first actual sponsor for the podcast. And it's on a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, fantasy football. So if you love fantasy football, then you need to try our new favorite app, Draft. It's weekly fantasy football, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you draft real live snake drafts with other people, just like in your season-long league. Here's how it works. It's a draft that lasts for just one week and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of the last minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes so you can join one right now. And the best part? You can play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start at just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. No salary caps. Play in a real live snake draft, just like you play with your friends in a season-long league. Come join us on Draft today. Download the app at any time. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or play right from your computer at playdraft.com, whichever way you want. For a limited time only, our all new players get a free entry into Draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code, which is SPORTSLAW. That's right, kind of detrimental fans. Play in a real money game for free by just using the promo code SPORTSLAW on your first deposit of the Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play with our free promo code SportsLaw, and we're back at it. Speaking of uh, Dan's predictions, you've been in, been on a hot streak recently, I'll say, um, and you nailed basically what was uh, Judge Majant's injunction order, which issued uh, last week. That was last week, right? Yeah, um, and, and you know we. We last recorded last week. I think the day that it came out, we recorded earlier in the day. We knew it was going to come out that day. Uh, we, you know, you predicted that Elliot would win. I was a little bit more on the fence. Um, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about that a little bit because it is a huge order in the case, not only because it granted the injunction, but he discussed the likelihood of success on the merits, which is, is the future of this case, really, and, and had some strong reasons why... Uh, to believe that Elliot will ultimately prevail, at least at the district court level. Dan, what was your, I mean, we don't need to get too much in the nitty gritty of that because people probably know all about it, but, you know, what were your kind of general thoughts on that order? You know, for me, it was extremely um, heavy handed against the NFL, towards the NFL PA. Um, you know, I, some very strong language for arbitrator Harold Henderson. I mean, what were your general takeaways? Uh, well, I mean, the, uh, the the theme of the brief was the fundamental fairness issue, which, uh, you know, my prediction was, uh, you know, not just based on uh, thinking that, you know, maybe, you know, they have a 50-50 shot, so I'll be an outlier here. I saw the same deficiencies 
that occurred in the in the Brady case. But but here we're we're, we're much more pernicious because you're dealing with the accuser uh, in, in a in a dispute that's almost like a a criminal domestic violence accusation. So the the need to have um, um, you know, to, to be able to confront and cross-examine your accuser and have access to the next best thing, which are the notes, I think were, were far more uh, acute in the Elliott uh, case than they were in Brady, which centered on, besides the notice issue, the need to have testimony from Jeffrey Pash, who played a far less critical role in that case than Tiffany Thompson uh, played in this controversy. So uh, I think kind of spotted that early on. And I think our experience in, in covering Deflategate and writing about it, and you and I, um, you know, spent so many hours uh, two years ago, probably hundreds of hours immersed in the minutia of the case, that this fundamental fairness issue seemed to, you know, um, you know, become revived again. But in my view, it was much stronger. So, uh, but it ha- this case also had the added intrigue of the league's um, attempt to conceal um, Kia Roberts, the critical, you know, lead interviewer for, uh, you know, who who spoke with Tiffany Thompson a number of times. And I think the combination of the deprivation of a a fundamental witness with the league's attempts to uh, hide Ms. Roberts's opinions from the Players Association made this a slam dunk at least case from my perspective, but the weakness or the potential vulnerability going forward is, is in my view, not the merits of, of, of the arguments, but the timeliness, the jurisdictional issue, standing, ripeness, exhaustion, to the extent there's any, um, any vulnerability in Judge uh, Mazant's opinion, uh, it's going to focus on the jurisdictional grounds of whether he properly had jurisdiction to weigh in on the dispute before a final arbitration award. That's where the rubber meets the road, and if the NFL is going to have any uh, um, you know, high likelihood of succeeding on appeal, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. That, that, that's really the key issue. I think fundamental fairness is a slam dunk on the merits. I don't care about the flake gate. You can easily distinguish the scenario and the, and the, and the need for the testimony in the flake gate, which was far less important from the need to have the accuser here. So the NFL's best hope for success on appeal and ultimately on the merits is going to lie in the exhaustion issue, the ripeness issue, and the standing issue, which are all which are related issues that center on whether this case was properly brought at the time it was brought. Yeah, and, and a couple follow-up points there. I mean, I think uh, Mazant, you know, took the time to focus and, and differentiate this case from Deflategate because really – you know, the NFL, as we've noted throughout this process, you know, has heavily relied on Deflategate and cites it frequently, you know, I think eight or nine times during one brief. You know, you, you don't see a brief going by without it. And so um, Bazant had to get through those factual issues. And, and a few times I wrote down a couple quotes about it here. Um, he called, uh, you know, he recognized that in, in these cases that an arbitrator, and this is a point that was uh, made uh, by the Second Circuit in Deflategate, uh, the arbitrator has um, has the ability to make evidentiary decisions, right? To exclude witnesses, to um, under the CBA, to talk about what documents are discoverable and not. And he said that was a normal case. And then he said everything about this case was anything but ordinary, and that Harold Henderson. Uh, 
conducted serious misconduct by the way he acted in this case. And so just by those phrases, he's taking this out of the Deflategate realm and pushing it towards uh, the fundal, fundamental fairness realm, which which the Deflategate courts essentially punted on, too. Um, hey, Dan, do you think, do you think uh, Judge Mazant is hinting at an evident partiality finding? I mean, he did uh, conclude, at least, or preliminarily find that Judge, uh, that, that Harold Henderson uh, breached his CBA obligations. I mean, is he going to go there? I mean, in light of the Adrian Peterson ruling and the court's yeah. determination that there was a, 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 an NFLPA waiver of that argument by virtue of what they collectively bargained, uh, I have the sense that um, there, there's potential yeah, avenue to find uh, to, 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 to go down that route. I think it's possible too. I think it's. I don't think he has to. I'll put it that way. I think he can just rely on that. Um, you know, Henderson messed up and didn't do his job well and, and shouldn't have taken these extreme steps and therefore conducted m- misconduct. It doesn't have to go to partiality, but I think he certainly could. So I think the potential is there. Um, when, I, I, when, thought, I thought one of Berman's biggest mistakes in the flight gate was not flushing out his ruling on evident partiality, and he, and he basically gave the Second Circuit uh, an opportunity to weigh in and for, on first impression on that issue and completely dispense with it. I, th- I thought had Berman uh, built a, a better foundation for a finding of evident partiality, it might have, not that it would have changed the result, but um, he never got the issue back on remand. So unless you address it in the lower court, the, the, the appellate court may take that issue away from you. So maybe if, uh, if Mazant is going to study the Deflategate lower court ruling, he may not want to leave any any potential issues on the cutting room floor. Yeah, and you know it's it was surprising to me that that issue just got smacked away in Deflategate um, because I thought it's a pretty strong argument, especially in the facts of that case. Um, you know, here where they put at least put a different arbitrator up, even though the arbitrator you know is a former NFL employee, um, you know, is clearly um, at the mercy of the NFL. It seems. Um, at least they put someone else up. Uh, I, I was sort of surprised, honestly, when Goodell didn't name himself arbitrator in this case. Um, it ultimately didn't make a difference, and that was probably his point of not doing it. But at the same time, it was still surprising to me. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting storyline to follow moving forward. Because again, it's um, you know one of one of the NFL's strong points from a, a precedent perspective at this point. Um, so that's, that's kind of how, to me, they were kind of moving away from Deflategate. And, I, and then to get to your other point, 10 minutes ago, talking about the exhaustion, um, you know, again, we're talking an exception here. Judge Bazant calls us an exception. Usually the rule is you have to wait until you've exhausted all of your remedies at the, the CBA prescribed remedies, which include the arbitration. You had to wait for Harold Henderson to rule before you file the, the case, and then it's first to file, and then that's why the NFL was waiting. That's why the NFLPA jumped, arguably jumped the gun a little bit. Um, but Mazant says that there's some exceptions to this rule, right? And one of them that he really focuses on is that the NFL's actions amounted to a repudiation of the remedial procedures in the CBA. So he's saying things like the NFL's missteps with Kia Roberts, Henderson's missteps with denying the interview notes, the accuser testimony in Goodell um, were actual repudiations of the process of the CBA. And that's really interesting to me because let's say this opinion holds up. Okay. 
moving forward, what does this process look like, right? So for every domestic violence case that gets appealed, now we have to, now the arbitrator basically has to compel Roger Goodell to give testimony, mm-hmm. compel the accuser to give testimony, which is really interesting um, just from what we've seen in um, domestic violence cases uh, in criminal courts where oftentimes that will, because and totally understandably so, victims frequently don't want to testify for a number of reasons that we don't need to get into right now, um, and the cases will be dismissed. And so will the NFL's domestic violence powers only be there if they can convince the accuser to testify during the arbitration hearing? And that's, to a certain extent, that's what this order is saying. Yeah, well, Dan, I think it depends in in, in large part on on the during the investigation. If you have a, a recalcitrant witness to begin with who wants no part of the NFL investigation, well, certainly the NFL cannot expect her to participate right, in an right, arbitration right. proceeding. But we have we have a situation here where the where the accuser voluntarily and gladly work closely with league investigators. And while while the witness can't be compelled by the NFL, they didn't even ask yep. and made her unavailable. Without us knowing, without the union knowing whether she uh, had any interest, obviously she could fight it. She could cooperate with the investigators from the league, and then and then fight any attempts to participate in the uh, arbitration proceeding. But then that would provide Elliot and the union with a strong argument that whatever statement she gave to the league should be disregarded. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great point that you know there are cases where there's enough other strong evidence. Um, to in criminal court to get a conviction without the accuser testifying, or um, here, which is as we know a lower standard, to proceed without that. But um, you know, I think in the vast majority of cases, you're probably going to need her, and that sets up a whole different dynamic. And I don't know that the NFL, um, you know, wants to go down that road. You know, they've never been one to compel the accuser to participate. You know, they have. This is pre this whole um, domestic violence department, essentially, in the NFL head offices where they had Janae Rice come in and interview with Roger Goodell, which, as we all know, um, many of us knew then and we all know now that was a huge no-no on Goodell's part. And he's since apologized for that. But um, I guess the point being that there's there's some potential long lasting impacts of, of this type of decision on how the NFL is going to be able to enforce their um, personal conduct policy and particularly the domestic violence policy moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be probably a, a while away from the, the outcome, the merits of the appeal. I think the stay issue yep. is really more important because it will signal uh, where the Fifth Circuit ultimately will come out on this. Okay. Right. And we haven't even talked about the New York lawsuit because, the Fifth Circuit may find, um, you know, I think the NFL will, uh, you know, stress some of the jurisdictional defects of the Texas filing. So I think the New York lawsuit that basically the the, the league bought an index number two weeks ago and, and that case is sitting in a fairly inactive status. But I think the league's hope is that the Fifth Circuit will, uh, you know, dis- or the, the, the Fifth Circuit will uh, reverse judge whatever Judge Mazan's final holding is on jurisdictional grounds 
and not necessarily address the vacator or the confirmation issue. And this New York lawsuit could reemerge as the forum choice, depending upon how the Fifth Circuit ultimately rules. But I, I don't think the Fifth Circuit is going to take any drastic action on a, on a stay issue. Uh, th- this will have to be briefed and ultimately resolved by the Fifth Circuit on the final merits. So I would still, I think the reason the New York lawsuit has, has had no activity is that the league anticipates uh, that this case ultimately may find its way to the Southern District of New York, where in its view, it properly should be litigated. Yeah. Are you surprised that the uh, PA hasn't taken any action in New York and tried to push the court to essentially dismiss the case because of Mazant's ruling saying that he has jurisdiction? Well, I think on the basis of the first file rule, uh, the, the union has a very strong argument that the Texas action certainly came first chronologically, and you could take the subsequent award, which came a day or two later, amend the complaint in Texas and have it relate back uh, to the first. But, but I think the league, I think the union may be wary of asking for something and getting one of those rulings that could be contrary to its interests. So I'm not. So I don't know if there's any benefit uh, for the union to um, uh, try to put, press the venue issue in New York when Judge Mazan is already conducting extensive proceedings on a TRO, issued a ruling. I mean, the, the 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 greater I think the greater goal of the of the NFL Players Association is to is to keep pressing uh, the matter in Texas. They have an injunction pursue this, you know, to brief the appeal. The longer that this case goes on in Texas, the less likely it is that New York will end up being a viable forum. The only the only pathway for the Southern District of New York to exist as, a, as an alternative forum is if the Fifth Circuit reverses Mazant on jurisdictional grounds and finds that the entire lawsuit was improperly brought because it was, it was commenced prior to the issuance of the award. If the Fifth Circuit months from now rules on that basis, uh, you know, this, the, the Southern District becomes the forum in which to litigate the case. And I'm not convinced that the NFL wouldn't want parallel proceedings right now. So that those may activate at some time, sometime in the future soon, and not necessarily following the plenary appeal before the Fifth Circuit. So I'm still, I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for some, for the next shoe to drop in the Southern District. It could come soon, but that's where the league still believes this case should be litigated. Yeah, wouldn't that be something if it uh, on this appeal, they, the appellate court says, hey, this is in the wrong forum, and we kind of do a complete start over in the Southern District of New York. Um, that would be kind of wild. I, I think at this point, that's probably unlikely. You know, I, I, I disagree that with you that the exhaustion argument is – um, necessarily weaker than the injunction argument, um, but but we'll see. Um, I think they're pretty strong on both fronts. I'm a more, um, you know, I think if the NFL ever wants to win this case, I think it's going to come down to them going, you know, or, or actually litigating the merits of the case in the district court, which they're probably yeah. going to lose, but then appealing and then winning at the Fifth Circuit. I think that's the most likely outcome where the NFL comes out on top here is winning in the Fifth Circuit after the merits case. And that'll be essentially the second appeal in the Fifth Circuit. Yeah. 
Dan, I don't think we even have to wait that long. We're going to know uh, how the Fifth Circuit's going to rule on the appeal by the end of next week because the grant or denial of the stay motion is basically the Fifth Circuit's preview into the merits of the case. And if the if the court if the Fifth Circuit issues a stay pending appeal, they're telegraphing that the NFL is going to win the appeal. Okay, I mean the the the, the issues will be somewhat crystallized, maybe not fully brief to the same depth as it would on a, on a full appeal. Uh, but I, I would, I would use the grant or denial of the stay of the requested stay as a predictor an almost 100% predictor of what the final fifth circuit decision would look like potentially months from now. I mean, if they're going to grant the stay case is over, uh, league is going to win on appeal. And conversely, if the court denies a stay, um, I don't think that that necessarily uh, portends NFLPA victory on appeal because the the, the, the court. Yeah. I think if the, they go with the. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think if they go with strong words on the irreparable harm front. Yeah, uh, irreparable harm yeah. just relates to the preliminary injunction. It doesn't relate to the merits right. of the arbitration. So I think the predictive result would be the issuance of a stay. I think it would be pretty much case over. I mean, this is. You're telling the, the you're telling the parties that we believe the the league has a substantial likelihood of success. What would change between that that order and then on the full briefing of the appeal? So uh, I I think the uh, Fifth Circuit's opinion or Fifth Circuit's order in this case, which we could see coming down, you know, as soon as potentially late late Friday night. Or at some point next week, it could be the most telling uh, action in the case that could really provide clarity, you know, for the parties for yeah. months going forward. I think the scenario where the, you know, which is probably the most likely one, they deny the stay, yeah. um, and they, we get kind of a, a wishy-washy discussion of likelihood of success and the merits. They say that both sides have good arguments. That really leaves us in the in the dark on where they're going to, where they're going to rule and, and, and it kind of keeps the tension up moving forward. And I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if they would do that or not. Um, but I also, if they're going to rule quickly and they see an easy out by saying there's irreparable harm here, no question. Um, we are going to you keep this stay going and let, let the process actually play out in the lower court. I, I mean, I think it's at least possible we get that. And we um, are, you know, suspenseful moving forward. Yeah. One other thing that I think we need to flag here is um, there's a strong possibility, and I've predicted that the, the NFL is going to lose this issue before Mazant, before the Fifth Circuit, before the Mars Supreme Court. I mean, it doesn't matter where this is litigated, but once the denial is uh, issued, be it this week or next week, the league also has to be concerned about this appeal bleeding over into the 2018 NFL season. I mean, most most appeals take, you know, in the neighborhood of between nine and 11 months. And uh, depending upon how, how busy a court's docket is, there is a possibility that this appeal could, you know, when it went, you know, who knows what Judge Mazan's schedule will be on the final hearing or when we'll get a final judgment on, on a motion to vacate the arbitration award. Uh, but there's a possibility that there would not be closure by the beginning of next NFL season. And what we're going to likely see here is if the, if the court, if the court grants the stay it will be automatically an expedited appeal, uh, you know, just going to a shortened, truncated briefing schedule. And we're going to have a resolution on the merits by the spring. But if the de- if the stay is denied, I think the league would want the protection of 
not having this appeal pending next year during the season. And I, I think the Players Association and the league would probably do what they did in Deflategate, which is request, jointly request, uh, an expedition of the appeal to ensure that there's a, you know, decision on uh, at the Fifth Circuit, certainly by, um, uh, you know, the begin uh, before the beginning of the 2018 NFL season. But we're not at that stage yet because this is not an appeal of, of the decision on the merits. This is simply an appeal of the preliminary injunction ruling. But there could come a point in time where the league and the, and the union actually agree on one thing, which is to have a, an expedited appeal. Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly a possibility of this bleeding over into next season. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm not confident, in, and although Mazant's kind of done most of the legwork at this point, but I think there's still going to be a full briefing schedule. They still have to do the motion to dismiss. Um, I mean, in normal court terms, all of this could take up to six, eight months just at the district court level before the appeal. I think he'll move faster than that because um, – you know, a lot of this is already briefed out. The parties are going to agree to shorter deadlines to try to move it, likely. Um, and no discovery, isn't there? There are no depositions yeah, or even requests so, for production. Right. The record is the record below. It's not going to change. Right, right. Um, but even so, I mean, I mean, if there was discovery, obviously that kicks it out a whole another year plus. But um, anyway, it's going to move. It's going to move relatively fast to the district court, and then it'll come down to how quickly the you know, appeals courts want to take it and, and move it along, um, get an oral argument in, and then write an opinion. Still pretty tight on the deadlines before 2018, even if everything kind of runs smoothly. Um, you know, you're still looking at 10 to 12 months for those two processes to take yeah. place even quickly. And, you know, it, it'll certainly, you know, I, I think there's at least a chance that it could be an open question in preseason next year. And we're going to be talking about this late summer. When is this thing going to be resolved? When are we going to hear from the fifth circuit? Um, so it'll be fun. I, I think that's probably a good, a good point to cut it off, Dan, for today. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back talking more Ezekiel Elliott, unless you have any parting thoughts. Well, let's do our predictions. I mean, the easiest prediction, this is, a, you know, you, you, you didn't, make, you didn't make the, uh, you didn't make the money prediction last week, but now you have a layup. Yeah. All right. Let's call the, the, the motion before Mazant. I think we both agree that it will be denied. In fact, yep. he's probably already written the order. How do you see the Fifth Circuit ruling, Dan? Uh, I see that also being the emerg motion for emergency stay denied as well. You? Uh, yeah, I'm going to copy you on this. And uh, I, I, I think the irreparable harm uh, issue precludes emergency stay relief here there's no question uh unless the, the 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 only you know equivocation i make on that and i'm i'm not i'm i'm definitely predicting the fifth circuit denies the motion but if the fifth circuit employs a sliding scale approach to the uh, elements on a motion for a stay you know if yep. you have a strong showing of a likelihood of success on the merits well then that would allow um, a lesser showing of irreparable harm but here i don't think the league has any irreparable harm and uh, all the harm is in Elliott's camp. So even under a sliding scale approach, uh, I don't think the NFL has enough to get it over the hump. And uh, we're going to be back before Judge Mazant in another uh, two weeks with hope, presumably a, a briefing schedule on the motion to vacate the arbitration award. And uh, I think he'll keep the case, but it's going to be a flurry of activity uh, today, tomorrow, and next week is going to be a big week because the Fifth Circuit's ruling really will dictate uh, the future of this litigation. I agree. We're uh, It's not slowing down anytime soon, at least in the next 
next 10 days or so, depending on how, the, how quickly the Fifth Circuit moves. Um, but we'll be, uh, we'll be at it, and we'll be sure to have you all covered. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, please give us a rating on iTunes, if only if it's a good rating. And um, say hello to us on Twitter. Dan Wallach's handle is at Wallach Legal. I am at Whirly Sports Law. Thanks, everybody. Wallach Pace. Well,